You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Shell Tain, founder of Sensible Coaching. Shell is a money coach pioneer, and her mission is to help her clients, entrepreneurs, and small business owners untangle their money knots. So today's episode is going to be all about money, and I'm so happy to have Shell here. Welcome, Shell. We're happy to have you on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Yay. Great. So uh, you are a money pioneer. You've been doing money coach pioneer. You've been doing this for a long time. Why don't you give us a little insight into your journey to this type of work? Tell us how you got here. I I will. And I'm going to start way back, but trust me, I'm not going to give you all the details in between. (laughs) But the, the important piece really is that I was an only child and my dad decided very early that I should have a good relationship with money, actually one better than the one he had with it, which is interesting. Yeah, that's but wonderful. he started me very young and he made it fun. He made it interesting. Um, there was, you know, I had to keep a ledger of my, what I spent and the columns were income and outgo. And the brilliant thing he did at that point was he didn't care what it was. I could buy candy. He didn't care. He just wanted the numbers to work. Um, uh-huh. if, if my mother would have been in charge, there would have been a lot more rules around what I could buy or what I couldn't. So, and there were lots of instances of this. So I ended up in the 80s being the woman on the board with like 12 guys in several different companies. And so really learned about money from all sorts of aspects of, of I've, I've run a radio station, I've managed a shopping center, I've been an interior designer, and I have been an accountant for years and years. And I now consider myself a recovering accountant because what I really discovered was that that the issues around money are emotional issues that really need to be addressed around how we think and feel about money and react to money. And it's much less about the mon- number crunching for most of us. Right. Right, then right. People don't I, I want to it, do the number crunching. Yeah. Right, right. So, how did you come to work with small business owners and entrepreneurs as a coach? What made you decide well, to follow that path? I. It's funny because I decided to be a coach because that looked really interesting. Just a coach in general, um, and I've been now doing this about twenty years. Yay! And initially, it, it in my life, it seems like everything ends up being somehow about money, even like papers I wrote back in school ended up being about money. And mm-hmm. as I started doing my coaching and I started doing some presentations and some, some things, they ended up being about money. And initially, I was sort of like, okay, we'll talk about the money stuff and then we'll get back to the coaching. And then finally, I figured out, wait a minute, money is the thing that people need the coaching on. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it's not the only thing because what's underneath that money stuff is our our personal stuff about our sense of value and worth and worthiness and how do we understand what we mean in the world, etc. Mm-hmm. And money is just here. Here's a big thing I want to say: money is not causative; it's reflective. <laughs> it doesn't actually make stuff happen. It's a symbol 
that we have constructed for the effort that we put in to make things happen. So it reflects, it says, here's what you did. So give me an example of that. Well, remember the fun mystery things where they go through the people's uh, trash can or they go through their whatever to look for things. Well, if you look at money, it's going to tell you what's going on. It's going to tell you, if you look at your own what you've been spending, it's going to tell you that this day you were depressed because there's you bought four gallons of ice cream. <laughs> it, it's reflective and mm-hmm. and it shows what we chose to do to make it and then what we choose to do with it. And one of the problems is that money is the most taboo topic on the planet, period. Nobody talks about it. We may talk about the big overarching stock market things and stuff like that, but the day-to-day money stuff, people don't talk about. I can talk forever if, if you let me. So, so <laughs> well, I, I, do have some questions. I do have some questions here. And, and sure. what you're saying, I want to make sure that we pause and examine some of the things that you're saying. Um, so mm-hmm. you were talking about it reflecting what's going on in your life. So it could be reflecting what is, uh, happening in a relationship, it could mm-hmm. be hap- It could be reflecting how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. It could be reflecting well, how you feel about your business and yourself or yeah. your self worth. I mean, there's a whole lot of things, right? That it yeah. reflects. Um, that's a that's a. I think that's going to be a challenging concept for a lot of people to wrap mm-hmm. their mind around because uh, so many people are just accustomed to. I don't know, like thinking that their money is out to get them. <laughs> money doesn't come easily to them or or it comes in and goes back out. Or, you know, if I don't have money, I, you know, I can't afford the kind of life that I want. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of those are perspectives that actually, I mean, this is a big philosophical piece that we're playing with here, but it's mm-hmm. important because all of those are perspectives that have to do with the way you learned about money. So right. let, me, let me talk about that a little bit because we learn about money. Actually, we start learning about it when we're even pre-verbal because we see, let's, let's just sort of look at the standard parent thing of mom and dad, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we see mom and dad and when they talk about this stuff called money, it's not pretty. It's, mm-hmm. it's funky. It's quirky. It's ugly. It's scary. There may be tension around it, right? There's tension around it. And, and of course, as a child, you don't know what that is. And then as you get more, more language, et cetera, you still don't know what's going on. But what you do have is a, we have as humans, a very inbred determination to be loyal to the parent. Mm-hmm. So mom can't be wrong. Dad can't be wrong. So it must be money's fault. Money's this thing that comes in. And I've, I've had many clients that have said to me, money ruins families. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, well, a lot, so many expressions in our lexicon. Money is the root of all evil. I mean, yeah. it doesn't get more. It doesn't get more. Or and then some people will correct you and say, no, no. It's the. It says the love of money in the Bible is the root of all evil. You know, we have these stories that we tell ourselves about money. And what's interesting is that you and I are, of course, coming from a place that we're talking about maybe scarcity or whatever. But you can still have that same tension around money in families with a lot of money. Oh, right? yeah. It has, it has nothing to do with how much money you have. The mm-hmm. perspective of, of whether there's never enough or there's plenty, I like mm-hmm. to look at those two perspectives, yeah. they have nothing to do with how much you have or don't have. 
It has to do with your mindset about possibility. And, and part of the thing is that if we look at money actually as, it, as if it was a person, mm-hmm. then what money would be would be the nerdiest person you've ever met. Mm-hmm. Money's just, if, if you were to say to money, how am I doing? Wanting to know how am I doing? Like wanting to have an opinion about you're doing well mm-hmm. or you're not doing so good. Mm-hmm. Money won't answer that. Money will say you have $4,312.18. Right. Money has no opinion. And part of the big breakthrough is recognizing that you end up projecting stuff onto money and then messing up your life in ways around money mm-hmm. that just isn't, isn't real, isn't true, isn't, because it's, money doesn't care. It just reflects. Right. So how, so what is your answer to people? Because, you know, as a, as a coach, of course, I've heard this, I'm sure you've heard this many times from people, but, but the reality is (laughs) I only have 4,000, you know, $832 in my bank account, or I have all my credit cards are maxed or, you know, those kinds of things around money that, that that's their, when they say that's their, but the reality is, what do you well, say? So to we, we get like back that? to, a, uh, we kind of circle back to who my clients are and why. Mm-hmm. Because my clients are all people who are in some way self employed or have right. a small business that they run or whatever. They are not, actually, there's two groups that are really challenging to help with their money perspectives. Mm-hmm. One is teachers, because the bad teacher gets the same money as the good teacher because of tenure. Right. And the other is farmers ranchers, et cetera, because it's about God and the weather. (laughs) I grew up with farm from a farm family. So from my grandparents were farmers. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's God and the weather. There's nothing else you can do about it. You just have to get through the hard times. Right. Right. So the, the thing is that the reason I attract those people who have small businesses is they start to recognize that there is something wrong perhaps in their business with the way that they are treating money and the way they are asking money for money. And they recognize that it's something they're doing. And that gives us the opening to change what they're doing to change the perspective. So it's, it's like the thing, what you get mostly is you get the thing of somebody will quote whatever their fee is Mm -hmm. and then they'll start backing up and saying, if it's Sunday or if you have a dog or whatever, you know, they start, changing right. it and, and and obfuscating around it. Right. So why do you think people, and you know, a lot of our audience are women law firm owners. So I'm going to say mm-hmm. a lot of times, I know in my experience of working with women, there's this sort of fear around asking enough for their services, having an exchange that makes them feel good about the exchange and not resentful. What do you think that, I, one of the things you said is, you know, like offering discounts before you have, before somebody asks for them. Why it's, do you think we do that kind of thing? It's, it's a very, 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 very old holdover. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, from, from the days of women should be seen and not heard kind of stuff. It's, it's, you don't want to be branded as being not nice or having any negativity around it. I mean, there's interesting, one of the things I love to say, especially when there's, there's a lot of women in the, in the room 
and we have a lot of women in the room as, as they're listening mm-hmm. to us. It, remember back when you were first dating somebody and they take you to dinner and you would ask the gentleman what he was going to have. I didn't care what he was going to have. I wanted to know how much money he was going to spend. So I wasn't overdoing it. Right. And now, it's, it's, it's interesting that you have you have that perspective. You and I have probably had that experience. But, you know, in today's dating world, I don't, I don't really know if it's like that. It's, it's very different now. But, I, you yeah. know, the thing that has yeah. been funny is when I have said that in a in a group of mixed men and women, the men were all stunned. They had no idea this was going on. Yeah, they're like, that's a code I didn't even know existed. (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't something anybody taught me. Because, again, nobody talks about money. Right. When you talk about nobody talking about money, I think about how many, How that's one of the reasons why I do the work I do. Because I think that uh, people make a lot of bad money decisions because nobody, you know, it's a skill they haven't learned, like how to, how to have a relationship with money, right? And I'm sure it's why you do what you do. And but you know, a lot of the ways that uh, I was working in, I started working in the '80s, and I remember working in this job. This job I had while I was going through college, and I, the manager gave me a raise. Well, one of the other employees asked me how much money I was making. And I didn't want to tell him because I had been always taught, you know, we're not supposed to discuss money or whatever, but he kind of kept talking to me and he sort of persuaded me to, you know, tell him how much money I was making. Well, he went back to the manager and he was very upset about it. (laughs) I've been here longer than she has. Why is she making this money? Blah, 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 blah. So the manager came and he told me, he says, now I'm going to have to give him your raise. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a lot of sort of, punishment around discussing money there's uh and then you know like in my family i grew up in the deep south and we don't it's unseemly to talk about money you don't ask how much money somebody makes you don't actually the the phrase is that it simply isn't done exactly 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 and you know even my parents now they're in their 80s and Uh my dad does not want to you know, we're at the point of estate planning discussions and I'm the estate planning lawyer and my dad, you know, we're not discussing it. No. So, I mean, like, I just tell them you need to go hire an estate planning lawyer and here's why. And, and then we just don't talk about it. They handle their business and I handle mine because you still talk about money. So, you know, of course me being who I am, I I come out completely the opposite. I'm like, people, we need to be talking about money (laughs) because I've been an entrepreneur a long time, you know, and I, I know that we have to address it, right? And if and, you're a business owner, you know, you mentioned before about the importance and how there's an opening with business owners because they know something's not right and they know it's uh-huh. something that they're doing or they're not doing. And I know one of the most basic questions I ask people when I start working with them is I, I start asking them about their numbers. And I, the majority of women business owners that I work with, they can't tell me the most basic mm-hmm. numbers, like what your revenue, what, what was your gross revenue last year? Mm-hmm. You know, just top line. Well, how much money did you bring in? Right. You know, I don't know. My, I have to ask my bookkeeper. I'll have to go look it up. Well, I haven't done my books or what is mm-hmm. that all about? That's all about. Okay. So, so let's go back to the thing of, of we learn about it by watching our parents. 
and mm-hmm. we learn that it's taboo and we learn that we shouldn't talk about it. So for most people, we end up with a five-year-old running our money. Mm-hmm. If you think about the behaviors that people have now, now sometimes people treat their business money and their personal money differently. Mm-hmm. And usually they treat the business money better than the personal money. The personal mm-hmm. money is still run by the five-year-old. It kind of depends on how you end up in that business. But if it's a family business, you're likely to run it the way that you run your regular money, which right. if you think about the sort of behaviors that people will do about money of like, I'm just going to ignore it. Like what you just talked about is I haven't even looked at the books. Right. Like you wouldn't want an accountant that said, oh, I just ignored it. <laughs> or I call it, they, I call it white knight syndrome. Uh, I think that yeah. that's somebody waiting for somebody to come along and rescue them. Well, and that's another thing that a five-year-old does. A five-year-old will get angry and say, oh, I'm just going to go do something else, you know, or a five-year-old will go spend the money, you know, knowing it's not there just to sort of ease some tension in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's not, our grown-up parts are not paying attention to money because we've never actually had them work on it. And it, it sounds funny, but I can get to this place with somebody where I kind of have them talk to their five-year-old part. And Mm -hmm. we all need a little five-year-old part. I mean, maybe they're six, maybe they're eight, maybe they're four, you know, you know, that's the part that you want to go to the beach with or, or make cotton candy. It's not the part you want running your money. Right. Running, we're running your business period. I mean, you know, (laughs) running your business period. And it's not, it, nobody did this on purpose. It's, Mm just happened because it was such a taboo topic. And as you went to school, nobody really talked about money. No, we do not educate our children in any way about how to actually do the fundamentals of handling money. Right. And that's why well, I, I ended up in this unique place because I got that. Right. right. Sorry. So let's, yeah. so let's be clear about not talking about money because I, I do, because I know some people are going to listen to this and go, well, you know, we talked about money in my family but it's not just about talking about it or not talking about it. It's about, uh, because there are going to be conversations around money in some families. Somebody's going to say, uh, I need I need some money in this account so I can go to the store and buy groceries. And somebody's going to say, you know, I pay all the bills and, and your dad doesn't even know what goes out every month. And, yeah, you know, but that's, that's all, hidden language. Those, right, right. That's not so those, real conversations. Right. So that's, you know. so we're talking about, People are going to be talking about money, but it's they may not be educating with intention and purpose like these periods. Well, they've never. How could they? Because they weren't educated, and their their parents were. You know, and and it's. I mean, I remember uh, one woman that talked about her family had this thing where they would say, "We're on budget." Mm -hmm. Now that was a code word that over time she figured out, which meant we have no money. Right. So budget then is a very negative word to a person that hears that their whole life. You know, me, you oh, go one of two ways. A, you know, I, yeah. when I when I do big talks, how many people ever put together a budget? Everybody raises their hand. How many ever looked at it after that? All the hands go down. <laughs> Nobody right, wants budgets to aren't do fun. That. They aren't they aren't fun to a five year old. Well, they're, it's not even that they're they're after the fact. They're not. Um, I actually created a little tool that I, I use with people instead because they're not in the moment. Mm-hmm. You go out and you either you pass or fail, 
there's no middle in it. Right. Um, and budgets are, you know, and, and there's only, I mean, the, the way to do a budget from my accounting side is with what they call the swag method, which is scientific wild ass guess. <laughs> there's, there's no way to predict things. I, I worked for Japanese companies at one point. They, they were irritated because I was under budget. I should be right on budget. Wow. And yeah. I said, the only way to do that is to do the budget after the period is closed. Right. You can't predict. Right. But it's, it's, it, and so money in, in each culture, there's other stuff about money, but certainly in our Western culture, there is a lot of tying of money to worthiness in a weird way. There's lots of words we use, like if you are broke, are you broken? Right. If, if I am wealthy, then I must be well. I mean, it's interesting to see how all these little words come and play with us. Oh, yeah, that's fascinating. That's and we make this stuff up. And, and it's really about getting clearer about what you want to have happen and letting money be reflective of what you want. What do you think when somebody doesn't want to deal with their money, doesn't know what their money, you know, what their numbers are in their business, or maybe they know, but they really don't know. Maybe they're making money and they don't know what to do with money uh, and how to get money to make more money or whatever it is. What do you think the impact of that is on their business and their lives? Well, it's, in some ways, it's probably, I'm going to say something really bizarre here, but it's probably proof that there really is a God, that more people that don't pay any attention to their money can still be successful sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just create incredible messes and they have, and they actually have, because it's a five-year-old running it, they have no idea how they created the mess because they weren't looking. They weren't looking. Again, money's going to say you have $500.43. It's not going to say you're in trouble. It's right. going to just, I think it's the cool part of money because money actually doesn't have an opinion. It doesn't have a judgment. We have made up for centuries that it has an opinion and a judgment. And rich people aren't as nice as poor people. And what we know is that some poor people are not nice and some rich people are nice and it has nothing to do with the money. Right. And pe- people coming from scarcity can be very wealthy and have oodles of money and people coming from generosity can be very poor. It, it has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with what you do with it and how you feel about yourself and money and the world. But so it's how do feeling, you, it's not money's feelings. So if that is the case, mm-hmm. then we, one of the big issues you'll hear people talk about is they'll talk about how I feel this way because I don't have enough money. Like I'm always worried about money. I would like to not, I would like to feel, you know, one of the number one things people ask for when they start working with me is financial freedom. I want to feel financially secure or financially free. And then you start asking questions about exactly what that means to them. But what does that have to do? Like at what point, how much money do you have to have to stop worrying about money? You know? Well, that's, that's different for every person. And it's not really about the money. Right. It's about the perspective in your head. And it's the thing I call it's the difference between enoughness and plenty. Because people that think in terms of enough 
let me let me play a little game with you. What's a food you really love to eat? It's oh play gosh, what's a food? Uh, let's say pizza, because that's a that's pizza. popular one. Pizza. Pizza. Okay. So, how much is enough pizza? Just whatever came to your head. Oh, uh, before I start feeling too stuffed, when I just feel full. How how much though? How many how many slices? Oh, that would probably, for me, that'd be probably a slice, maybe two. Okay. And how much would plenty of pizza be? This is not necessarily you, but just plenty of pizza. <laughs> plenty of pizza for me is going to be that amount. It's going to be a couple of slices of pizza. That's going to be plenty for me. Okay. So that tells me you're stuck in an offland because you can't see plenty. Just so let, let's look something smaller, like maybe M&M. Well, go back and explain that sentence again. Say that again. Okay. That tells so, me I'm stuck where? In enough land. Because oh, you okay. can't, you're not seeing the plenty. So if, um, how much is enough flowers? Okay. Is there such a thing as enough flowers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I need you to make this easier for me here. Um, <laughs> So, so something simple. I don't, I, I want to go back to the pizza example because I want to understand that. Because for me, like, I mean, I guess I'm thinking, you know. For you, it's, food it, is, it's pizza, but it's like if we're imagining plenty of pizza. Plenty my, of pizza. Plenty, plenty for what? For me or for our, 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 our party or a room full of people or yeah, a family? Right. Or, yeah, right? Yeah, so I guess the question is, who, who's if, the pizza were, for? Okay. But, the pizza is okay. If we were going to have a party and you just wanted enough pizza, so mm. that like everybody had one slice, yeah, I'd have to know how many people were coming to the party. Okay. Now, if you're going to have plenty of pizza, you would have more pizza, right? Than you would have if you're just having enough to make sure everybody gets one slice. Right. Right. I'd make sure I would. I would want enough to make sure that everybody feels satisfied and mm -hmm. goes home happy. And the thing is that as you imagine that, you're seeing uh -huh. like a room full of pizzas, maybe, you know, right. a kitchen full yeah. of pizzas. I'm seeing a long buffet table with lots of pizza on and different kinds of pizza. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And, yeah. and so see now, if we're going to the enough land, we kind of stop at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we get to, close to whatever we think is enough around money or anything else, enough magically moves. Further right. right. But if we're thinking in terms of plenty, and this is an odd thing for people to think about, but when you think in terms of plenty, you see an abundance. It doesn't right. mean you're going to go and waste a bunch of money to get plenty of it. It means that you have a bigger perspective. It so doesn't mean you're going to gorge on pizza and like be no, rolling no, around in you, pain. <laughs> you see the possibilities. Right. And so if you're starting a business, and you decide, well, I just want enough clients. Now, that's going to hamper you because all the weird little things that you do, like how you set up a filing system, is uh -huh. going to be for enough. But if you set up the business as having plenty, you're going to do it differently and think about it differently. Right, right. Well, you don't limit yourself to what I can do versus what yeah. a whole room full of people can do. Or So when, when I'm looking right. to get enough, I'm limiting myself. And when I'm right. looking for plenty, I keep moving. 
And it's not because you see to get to. So that's why you see so many people who get to that, let's say, lower six-figure mark, and then they struggle to get to the higher six-figure or to the seven-figure or to the, mm-hmm. but because yeah. they're they're saying, I've got enough. And what I call that is um, you're too comfortable. Like you, when you get enough, it's like eating that couple slices of pizza, you feel satisfied. And so anything more seems like gluttony, you know, one of the well, Sims, but that's a perspective right? you're making up again. And right. often one of the things that is really interesting is that particularly with women, we mm-hmm. often will make sure we don't make more than we perceived our parents made. Right. Right. Now, I say perceived because we probably didn't really know. But yeah, but well, well even, even, even things like, you know, even if you make more than your parents, you still look at it the time they were in versus the time you're in and like the equivalency of your lifestyle. Yeah. Like you can't, yeah. if you get, if you exceed the lifestyle that your parents have, then, you know, then you maybe you, you may have those ideas in your head. Like, well, we do. they're going to think I'm too good for them. I, you know, I remember once um, with, with a now ex-husband, we were looking for a house and we found this house in this neighborhood and we put an offer on it. And I had this thought in my head that said, in this neighborhood, I'd have to put on makeup to get the mail. Right. right. It was one step over where my edge was. Right. Now, I had the thought in my head and I processed the thought in my head. But most people, when they have the thought in, the head, in their head, then they don't, they don't buy a house in that neighborhood because they don't feel like they fit. Right, right. They think they're going to be uncomfortable there. And and maybe people that they know and love won't feel comfortable at their house. Yes. And we we make, you know, I mean, I hated it when they did those television shows where they'd come in and and redo the person's house and not just redo it sort of like 10% better, but make it a McMansion. Uh Uh-huh. And and then they'd leave them there. And the neighbors are all pissed off because the, the property values have gone up. It, they can't sustain the house. They can't pay the property tax. I mean, it was just a mess. Yeah. Looked good. That never, that never occurred to me. I'm always just like, oh, look how pretty. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, but well, but remember, yeah. this is the money person. So my brain goes there. Yeah. And, and I, I thought this is, you know, you didn't even have some sort of training for the people about how to deal with this. Right. And it, it looked lovely and it probably was and. And, you know, there's reasons, too, why people that win the lottery or whatever in X years, they're back where they were. It's because mm-hmm. they didn't they don't know how to be there. Yeah, it's it well, and so goes much against it, everything. Well, so sure. so much of it's about love. I mean, it boils down to the love yeah. and belonging. Right. Yeah. Because you're you don't belong, if you have more money, maybe than what your parents have or had when they were your age or, or whatever or you are you're making more money than your friends or you know there there becomes this kind of unconscious thing that starts to happen uh-huh. where you know people start saying that if i if i do that i'm not going to be i'm not going to belong anymore with these people uh-huh. that i love and so there's a fear of losing love or being judged that we're not even consciously aware is happening right yeah, I, I had one client that that over took care of everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, she bought ticket season tickets for college stadium games and stuff that were hugely expensive and just gave them. And she did not believe that anybody would want to be with her if she wasn't somehow lavishing extravagance on them. Right. Right. I, I remember when I was younger, when I was probably in my twenties, maybe thirties, early thirties and having, I've always been a very thoughtful gift giver. And I don't think about the money when I'm picking the gift for mm-hmm. the person, right? Like I'm, I want something that is, so if, even if it's too much, I want to find the thing that I think is going to be, that they're going to have that connection with me. So, um, and for years, I, of course, at that age, it was weddings and showers and all those kinds of things. And so I was plus friends and holidays. And I was giving gifts all the time. And I realized like, this is crazy. I'm spending way too much money on other people. That was what you were saying earlier about being generous and being broke. And mm-hmm. I, I completely cut out gift giving for a while. And I'm very selective now about what I, you know, when I give gifts and who I give gifts to mm-hmm. and things like that, because um, I realized that that was a behavior of, wanting that uh, love, you know, wanting mm-hmm. that, that feeling at where they felt special and I had made them feel special. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I totally understand and, and, that. And it is, you know, just to, to irritatingly push a point, it is you trying to figure out when is it enough? You know, when is it enough? When is the, the gift enough that they'll really love me? Right. At some, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just, yeah. Here we are. Uh, so, <laughs> no, no, I so, know. I've had issues. I don't know. We've, we well, all we all have issues. You know, money, so. <laughs> we, we all have. I mean, you know, I'm I'm yeah. busting the the thing of I have issues with money, and yet I've been friends with money for years, and I teach people about this. But right. you can't you can't actually help people with something you haven't struggled with. Well, I think it's way. also one of those things that you have a we have a. a we have a lifelong relationship with money because we live in a society that mm-hmm. where our exchange is done with money, right? You know, and and everything, well, everything, let's say most, you know, like most of the things that provide our comfort or whatever in the world cost money, right? You gotta have you want insurance, you gotta have money for it. You mm-hmm. want a retirement account, you gotta have money for it. You gotta have, you know, all of those kinds of things, right? Well, so, and money is reflecting again that stuff, right? Because yeah. it's it's just money's a symbol. It, it's one of the things that makes it more difficult because it's not real. I mean, we, we hardly, it, you know, it's pieces of paper with dead white guys on it. And <laughs> these days, there's not even the pieces of paper or the money. I had right. I had one lady that had this shopping thing because when she was little, she her mother would take her to the store and she'd see that her mother would buy things. And then her mother would get money back because she'd get some change and some bills. So uh-huh. this little girl decided that shopping is the coolest thing ever because not only do you get things, but you get money back and, and also. <laughs> I like it. I- <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's uh, all sorts of fascinating that, things that's, that people that's make all up those about. Things. So those people are people who grow up and they're, they love the, the discounts and the coupons and the rebates because then they mm-hmm. feel like, I saved money. I mm-hmm. saved money by buying this thing and spending money. I actually 
saved you money, right? Yeah, <laughs> in relationship. right. Except the fact that if I hadn't bought it at all, I would have saved even more money. Exactly, and, exactly. And whatever no. it is. And yeah. we all have all these different, it's, it's why the phrase is the untangler of money not. Yeah, I wanted to talk with you about money knots because I know that's something we haven't actually covered that term yet. And I know that's something that you use um, when you talk about money. So explain to us what a money knot is and well, but what that, you do to help. You know, uh, the thing is that whatever somebody, the thing I love about the I help people untangle their money knots is that I have no idea what their money knot is, but they do. Mm-hmm. And w- when I say that, then they say, oh, can you help me do this? Because there's some money not in there for everybody. It's, right. You know, some of them I can't. The, the lady, I did a talk and this lady came up to me after the talk and said, I want you to fix my husband. <laughs> I, said, I think that's hmm. common. I think that's common. A lot of people have that. Yeah. Yeah. Thought. And, and yeah. I said something like, um, you know, once I get done with world peace, I'll be happy to try that. You know, because. Um, <laughs> You know, it's there's yeah. some things that are possible for I need to do. I can yeah. do couple. I do couples work around money because right. couples have issues around money. Who knew, right? Um, so, so the the trick is to get to the place of if you if you take away the idea that money has a judgment and start looking at it instead as something that reflects what you're up to. Mm-hmm. It can be very helpful to, for you to figure out that certainly there are some practical things to do around money that make it easier to do that. But it's the emotional start, emotional stuff that has to get cleared up for you to do it. Because frankly, keeping a checkbook, keeping a budget, doing a cash flow, those are not rocket science. We don't mm-hmm. even have to do the math anymore. The spreadsheet or, the, or Quicken or whatever does that. Mm-hmm. So why is it so difficult? This is part of part of why I ended up in this career is back when I was an accountant, a CFO in a company. I had one of the um, product managers come to my office one day and close the door and said, Shell, I need your help. And I said, sure, what can I do? And he said, I can't balance my checkbook. And I thought, this is a guy that manages a multi-million dollar product line and he can't balance his checkbook. Right. What? is going on there. Right. And it was indicative of my brain. If I had been a typical accountant, I would have just told him how to balance his checkbook. And I said, so what do you think is happening with that? Why do you think you get stuck there? Yeah. What is that? You know, because I get curious. I'm curious. I want to know, what is that? Where did that come from? It's very interesting stuff. (laughs) So, So... it's it's a when you uh, I want people to really uh, get the vision of the money knot because I've seen I've seen one of your videos and that that really brings home the visual. So when you talk about a money knot, what we're talking about is not like a rope that's tied in a knot. We're talking about somebody that comes and they plop down this wadded up massive tangle of Christmas lights mm-hmm. in front exactly. of you. And yeah. then they go, okay, we got to string this out so we can get it around the tree. And it's probably going to take us, you know, a while mm-hmm. to do that. Right. So then you're helping to tease out mm-hmm. those and untie that. And it's much more, it's not a quick fix kind of thing. It's not something like, okay, we're just going to yeah. shake this and it's going to come out. It's something where there's work really challenging your, our thoughts around money, right. Mm-hmm. And our beliefs and there's, around there's, money. 
there is actually humor in there because of course there is always humor yes. in there. Uh, but, but the point is that, yes, it's, I say to people, money coaching is not triage, triage, it's rehab. Right. You know, the, the triage part, if you're up against it and just, you know, hanging on by fingernail, oh, you know, the, Part of the thing is that that emotional field has to get calmed down before we can actually do the work of figuring out how to change your perspective. Right. Because it's, and, and it's interesting because sometimes one of the things I tell new clients is you'll find that maybe we'll have a couple of sessions and we won't actually talk about money. And you're going to say to me, oh, wait a minute, we're doing money coaching. Why are we not talking about money? And I will say, what have we been talking about? And they will say, oh, how I hold my worth or my value in the world or how I care for what? Well, yeah, duh, same thing. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. money reflects that. You also use some self-hypnosis in your coaching. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I have, I have a uh, self-hypnosis thing that I had somebody do long ago that I have for sale on my website because part of it is this is deep stuff. Right. Now that, that self-hypnosis tape is not, it's mostly as most self-hypnosis are about calming yourself. Right. And then it, it's about giving it the idea that you can, you can do this. It can be fine. It's not a big, bad, ugly thing. It doesn't have anything specific in you will do these Five yeah, address, address, addressing these particular issues. It's more about no. the mindset around resolving the problem, right? And the mindset around having money, fe- feeling like there's a part of you that can handle money more effectively mm-hmm. and that you just need to give it some space. And, mm-hmm. you know, because frankly, all of the, the fretting and worrying is just adding on and adding on and adding on. What are the benefits of sorting out, I mean, spending this time and working on this sort of self-development, you know, uh, really digging into how you think and how you feel and and bringing things to the forefront. What are some of the um, benefits of doing that in your for your business and for your life? Well, I, I'm thinking of the most recent reflection I got back is there was a young woman that I worked with about five years ago who was a, a veterinarian that, that does mostly horses. And she sent me an email about a month and a half ago that said, I just wanted to thank you because of our work together, even in this time of the pandemic, I'm not worried about money. Wow. Wow. Now, that was a great thing. Right. And um, it had nothing to do with whether or not she was making a certain amount of money. Yeah, she, it was... You know, no. No, it, yeah. it's about the and she may be making uh, plenty of money, right? So she, I don't know on. what she's making, but I know that she's you know she's happy yeah. and she's doing other things and and right. and money is supporting her in what she wants. So right. you know, money may support some people in have in in actually downsizing and doing less, and yeah. other people in having more. It. Again, it's it's what do you want? What life do you want? Well, and what are you willing to allow? You know. Yeah. What are you willing to and 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 what are you willing to do to to shift? You know, 
yeah. I think I, I really, I'm going to say something about coaching in general. I'm really positive about the idea that we now have coaches mm-hmm. because it's only been literally about a hundred years that we even had the idea of psychology, that you mm-hmm. could somehow change the way things are in your head. Mm-hmm. And, and now coaching is a much more friendly perspective. Like you don't have to be crazy to have coaching. Right. You know, right. And and so we're not going to just put you away because you have these thoughts. And it's allowing us to change some of the things that had gone on for generation and generation and generation that never got talked about because it didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to be labeled as having a problem. Right. Well, I think it's a safer place mm-hmm. that, you know, that it may be to try to have a conversation with a friend or a family mm-hmm. member, certainly. I mean, because then you've got people with their own agendas and their own stories that they tell themselves and, you know, all of those, and an agenda in their relationship with you. Yeah, uh, even absolutely. between Yeah, even between spouses. I mean, I know, oh. uh, you know, with my husband and I, we both have different, we both had different money stories from our childhood. And, um, and money is one of the most challenging conversations we have in our marriage. We're both entrepreneurs. So <laughs> that's, that's a challenge right there. Right. So we're both always, um, you know, develop, you know, well, yeah, because, ideas, because developing businesses. The, part of the, part of the problem there is that you each have different money perspectives mm-hmm. and you haven't necessarily figured out the way to have it, let's think of it as little money lands, right? So there's mm-hmm. your money land and his money land, and we haven't figured out how to bridge to our money land where things mm-hmm. are a little different than on either side. Well, I do and, think there are some people who do that better than others, you know, certainly. Oh, sure. But in general, it. in general, when we get into a relationship, we pick somebody that's different than us because otherwise mm-hmm. we're bored, right? Mm-hmm. So we pick an opposite and and we want that opposite for the balance to get give us more of what they've got that we wish we had, but then we find it irritating that they don't think exactly like us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know with and us, we both we both are uh, spenders, and mm-hmm. in, and we're risk takers, and you know all all those kinds of things. But you know, both of us kind of look to the other and go, "Hey, while I'm doing this, you should be doing that," because we want to spend on different things. So we want the other person to be a saver and we want to be the spender. So, yes, you know, there right. are all kinds of, you know, things. Yes. So even if you're, even if you're a saver with the spender, it's a challenge. If you're a spender and a spender, it's a challenge. If you're a saver and a saver, maybe it's, you're better. It's a challenge because we're all different individuals. You know, right, we, right. We, we and it's just are, one and facet to, to yes. that relationship when you're having, and then you think about, we don't have children, but I know many of my clients, you, you know, when I, learn about their money stories and we're working on those money stories and we're working on their, their business, you know, um, you, you see how they are with their children and what in, you know, what are you teaching them? And I think it's very rare in your situation where you have a parent who said, I'm going to be very intentional about teaching you about money. I don't think that's common. It's not common. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, it ends up in, in a mess. Mm-hmm. I had I had a guy that had this opinion that he could never save money because he had this story about 
when he was a kid, his parents came and took away his his um, piggy bank and they broke it open and they took all the money and they never saw it again. And, you know, and yeah. so he had decided I can't save money. And I asked him to his mother was alive. And so we got the real story and they took him to the bank. And they and in the, those days, you would get this little blue book. Right. They would right. And they took him to the bank and they gave the little guy the little blue book. Now, they didn't apparently talk about any of this stuff. And he was like, well, what's this? This is this stupid book. I don't read. I don't know what this means. And I had money. I had the actual physical stuff. And now I got this stupid book and I can't, you know. Right. And here he is, a grown-up, and still operating and under that perspective. And traumatized by that. Yeah. And, and the parents were trying to do the right thing. Right. They just didn't under you know they weren't willing. It wasn't age appropriate. <laughs> right. Yeah, to to have it be age appropriate. It was age appropriate for me to have the columns that income and out go. Yeah. You know it it yeah. was it, it was age. What well, the other thing my dad did that I just loved. It took me years to realize this was going on. He would borrow money from me on a Friday night to take my mother out. Oh wow! And then he would pay me back on on Monday with interest. Right. And the part I never figured out is my dad had cash on him all the time. He didn't need to do that. He was doing that on purpose to give me the experience of lending the money and getting some back with interest. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my dad did do that as well. He did. He would borrow money and then pay it back with interest. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of understood that concept, but it didn't advance much beyond <laughs> beyond yeah, that well, because you know it was it was money money wasn't something that was you know discussed and um and also you know my my own parents financial education they've done very well for themselves but they grew up in uh, my dad especially grew up in abject poverty i mm-hmm. mean the kind of poverty where you've got one pair of pants you know for yep. school and church and one for yep. home kind of thing and so what is wealth to him, what is plenty to him, you know, is different, right? Absolutely. And, and so, and, and those, what would be a breakthrough would be different too, right? I mean, it, I, I had a client that was a doctor, and she had come from very, very poor circumstances, and she's a doctor, right? She's making good money, but she had never ever bought a car on time. Because when you're poor, you spend it. You don't save it because somebody's going to take it away if you save it. Right. And you don't right. trust any. And we got to the point where she bought a car on time. You know, I mean, right. she bought a car that she paid for over several years and then recognized, oh, my God, I could do that. And she was a doctor. Right. Which means, right. you know, I mean, she was not, she was making reasonable money for sure. Right. Well, and there's that that's a whole nother uh, can of worms that we'll have to continue for another day, because <laughs> I know that with attorneys, there is a public perception about attorneys having money. And mm-hmm. the minute you graduate from law school, people think, oh, well, you have money. And I remember. Oh, you have a big my, bill to pay for law school. <laughs> uh, oh, you're right, exactly. I remember one of my uncles saying to me at the first little family reunion after I graduated from law school and I drove up in a older car and he says the next time you come here i expect to see you know a a fancy car right because that's they're associated with you become an attorney Mm -hmm. and immediately you make a lot of money and i know that a lot of women law firm owners it's one of the things we discuss a lot is 
this perception that attorneys are made of money and a lot of people coming in wanting you to do things for them, maybe their family members, maybe their friends, maybe they're just strangers off the street, feel like you owe them a discount or you owe them a, you know free services or you owe them because you have money and you're being you know greedy or stingy if mm-hmm. you don't do things for them for free right so um there's so much more we could talk about and absolutely uh, but we do need this to is, end <laughs> so the, the fun I, part I, for me though yay is untangling yeah. these things yay. yeah absolutely um well it's been wonderful so tell us how we can find out more about you if we want to talk with you ourselves uh, about our own money issues how can we find out more about you and what you do well, there is a handy dandy website and it is um, at shelltain, S H E L L T A I N dot com. Mm-hmm. Or if you go to sensiblecoaching.com, you end up in the same place. And um, there's all sorts of lovely blogs and information and funny stories and stuff on there. Um, I'm happy to do a sample session with any of your listeners that want to call, have a call. I, I love doing them. I love, I love this career more than I've had it longer than anything else I've done because it's just never boring. Oh, I imagine it's very free. satisfying. It's very satisfying. It's very so, satisfying well, and just not boring. You know. <laughs> right? Yeah, like uh, uh, unlike an uh, unnamed accounting sort of career might be. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, you know, counting things is the same. You know, whether, it doesn't matter what widget you're counting; it's still accounting. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. I'm a recovery. Well, thanks so much for being here, Jill. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.